Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. Um, that is how Musi Maiman used to greet. Um, we thank the Lord for our country. We thank the Lord for the hope we have in the gospel. Even as Reggie was praying, um, that's what we anchor our hopes in um, and not this world. We are starting a new series which is titled Elect Exile, um, and this is exciting for me. Um, we're going to be working our way through the first letter that Peter wrote uh, to the various churches in what is now called modern-day Turkey. Um, so if you are a newcomer, it is lovely to have you join us. We do hope that you will join us for the uh, next couple of weeks. We are excited to be starting um, this uh, coming series. Uh, we're going to start it now. This is the last week of October up until November, and I know some of you are thinking, man, I just want to skip November and get to December already. Um, Facebook has been, a lot of people have been saying that on Facebook, uh, but please uh, join us uh, uh, through uh, as we uh, look at the first two chapters, um, at least, of uh, first, uh, first Peter. So that's going to be um, exciting, because we just finished the topical series. If you've missed that, uh, please go online and uh, uh, listen to the, uh, that, um, that series we did. Uh, but this time around, we're going to be working our way through the passage. And that's the normal practice here at Christ Church Midrand. We believe that God changes lives as the Word of God is opened uh, and by the power of the Spirit. So that's what we're hoping for as we dive into this uh, series in 1 Peter, uh, to really look at our lives as Christians uh, and some of the things that we anchor our lives and our hopes in uh, and to find uh, courage um, in the gospel. Uh, so as the world grows more anti, uh, anti-God and anti-Christ, uh, God um, would speak his word uh, in season to remind us 
um, how we should live like and how we should respond to the world around us. So that's our hope if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, uh, perhaps there's something that you put in your hope in. Uh, and hopefully, uh, this series will begin to shake uh, that foundation and begin to question you uh, that is that thing big enough to, well, to handle a life as we know it? Uh, is your worldview uh, big enough to handle some of the pressures of life and some of the uncertainties of living in the world that you and I live in? Uh, so that is our hope as the word is opened uh, that we would just engage with what the gospel uh, means for our everyday um, life. Before I pray for us as we get into our, our series, please remind, remember to buy that book, uh, Sex and Money. Um, it's uh, 80 bucks. Um, if you don't have it, you can get it again uh, next week. I think those are not gunshots. Those um, Is that Guy Fox or Diwali? One of the two. Uh, so let's bow our heads as I lead us in prayer. Don't be scared. Ne? Uh, we, it's fine. We're okay. Um, Father, thank you so much for um, the gospel. Uh, thank you that we can sing those words. Uh, send us, Lord. Send us into this world. And I pray for those who are Christians uh, this evening. You know, even as Peter um, challenges us, he urges, to, urges us um, to live as those uh, who are sent. Uh, into this world. Uh, those who would be different, those who would be countercultural. So I do pray that this message would stir up in our hearts a desire to be courageous and to live uh, such uh, godly lives wherever you've placed us, that people would look at us and be drawn to Christ. I pray for a deep sense of a genuine Christianity, Lord, uh, not this commercial Christianity that we see in South Africa at the moment. I do pray that you draw our hearts and transform our lives through the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen. So there was a time in our culture where Christianity was the most dominant religion. It was, in fact, popular to be um, Christian. Uh, 2001 census, if you were to um, Google, those were the second uh, census that were done after our democracy. Uh, and it revealed that close to 80% of our country would say uh, that they are professing Christians. Uh, so that's uh, according to census uh, 2001. That's 35 million people, at least, who said uh, then profess that they are Christians uh, because it was popular uh, to say that I'm a Christian. In fact, we come from a Christian uh, country. Just backtrack that a few years before um, the census in 2001. Let's backtrack that to um, around 1850. Um, if you were to study our history, you'd realize that when they built South African cities, um, they built it. Guess what was at the very core of the city? Anybody? What was at the center of the city? The church was at the center of the, um, of the city. Church was the very place where everything flowed from. Uh, supposedly, um, our country was a Christian country. Uh, a town planner friend of mine tells me that even in Maputo, um, the church and the cathedral sits uh, at the very center of the city. Everything is built around the city. So if you check out most of our cities or our old towns, all of them were established around um, the, the cathedral or the church. It was popular to be a Christian. In fact, the Domini, Domini friend of mine, uh, Domini is a pastor in the Afrikaans church. 
this guy, uh, we were chatting the other day, and he said to me uh, that back then, a generation uh, before our generation, people regarded the, the domini as the highest authority in the land. Uh, by the way, the word domini uh, means my lord. Uh, so this is the highest uh, guy in the society. You couldn't host any social event without the domini. Uh, you couldn't uh, have a metric uh, celebration without the domini. Uh, he was sometimes on the panel of judges uh, at quizzes. Whatever you do, you call the domini. But what is even more intense is that if you needed a job uh, and you were writing a CV, uh, you got references from your previous employer and all of that, but if you didn't have a reference uh, from the domini, if you didn't, were not in good standing with the domini of your town, uh, not a lot of people will let you do uh, the job that you applied for. Uh, so socially, you had to go to church, you had to be involved because it had social implications. If you are not part of a church, uh, you were um, uh, uh, considered an outside, outsider. If you, are, if you grew up in a black culture, uh, let me speak about my particular culture because there's many uh, different cultures. Where I grew up, you had to be part of a church. Um, if you were not part of a church, uh, the older people would say to you, what do you, what do you think? What kind of person are you? Um, you are a heathen. You are a heathen. You don't go to church. Uh, and what do you, who do you think is going to bury you when you die? Who do you think is going to uh, conduct your wedding uh, or speak at your 21st? Um, so growing up in, in, in that culture, you had to be part of a church because otherwise you'll be called a heathen. In fact, I grew up uh, most of my life, 11 years in the, in the village, and I never met someone who said that they were atheists. Um, it's only now that I see that there's one guy in the whole village who's uh, become a Muslim. Uh, so that is bizarre, right? In our uh, rural culture, you had to be uh, part of a church somehow. Now, this period uh, that we are now kind of getting out of is normally what is called Christendom. Um, and there's, here's a definish, definition here. Uh, the term Christendom, what we mean by the term, uh, has come to be particularly applied to that period of the Christian history in which Christian religion was an integral and fundamental part of uh, the social order. In other words, to be a full member of society, one also had to be a member of the church. Um, So if we uh, look at history as you and I know it, the history of our country, the history of uh, the larger Western world and all the parts uh, that the Western world has impacted, uh, we are now coming out of a period that is called Christendom, uh, where it was cool to be Christian, where it was socially Um, acceptable to be um, a Christian. And this period began in uh, 312 AD when uh, this guy called Constantine, he was a Roman governor, uh, met Jesus. Uh, So when he became a Christian, Constantine declared Christianity as the Roman religion. A couple of years later, they um, they banned all the other pagan, pagan religions and Christianity became the center of everything. Uh, and the church and the state uh, were like male uh, um, husband and wife. So there was this marriage between church and state. Uh, and so the Christian faith, according to the Roman world, spread across to Britain, uh, across to all sorts of parts of Europe. The British um, 
were cold in Britain, and they were like, man, we got to get ourselves some warm weather. And they went about exploring the world uh, and discovered uh, a lot of land uh, across the um, discovered land. Um, and here's the three C's uh, of colonization. One of the, the, the three C's of uh, colonization, one was civilization. Let's civilize the native uh, savages. Uh, two was Christianity. At the core of what they were doing was introduce the Christian faith uh, to uh, those who were pagans and then commerce. Uh, let us uh, take uh, their prophets as well. Uh, so as an African, uh, the culture was baptized into Christianity. If you're a Kholisa, you'd be called John. Uh, if you are Matlakala, uh, <laughs> you should never name somebody Matlakala. Uh, for those of us who don't know what Matlakala is, it means rubbish. Uh, if that is your name, uh, forgive me for that. Uh, but if you are Malerato, uh, you'd be called Sarah. Uh, and that is what Christendom and being uh, part of the larger uh, Christian understanding looked like. Uh, for you and for me. That is the kind of idea we have of what church is. Now, just a couple of things about um, Christendom. One is that um, it brought about a lot of good things. Uh, So there's a lot of stuff uh, that happened as Christianity was influencing culture that was good. Uh, It transformed practices that were pagan, uh, and for much of it we ought to be thankful for. Um, But just to say another thing, that Christendom is not the normal way of Christian life. Christendom was not the normal Christian life. If you look at other Christian cultures or Christians in different countries, you discover that uh, Christianity is often at the backside uh, and not the front side of society and culture. Uh, Christians in other countries are persecuted. They go through all sorts of uh, different uh, difficulties uh, for being Christian. Um, much of what we know of the early church was under a lot of uh, persecution. So Christians were not at the center of uh, activity, of, uh, of culture. They didn't have uh, that much of an influence. And uh, just to remind us that what we come out of is a weird and interesting history, but it's not the normal Christian life. Christians in the early church were persecuted, um, boiled uh, alive in oil. Uh, Some of them were crucified upside down, just like their Lord. Some of them were fed to um, lions, uh, to tigers in the Colosseum. They were used for entertainment and killed for entertainment. That was the normal Christian life. Um, The other thing that we need to remember is that this thing called Christendom did not always mirror what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Um, Just because you called yourself Christian, just because 80% of our country called themselves Christian, does not necessarily mean, or did not necessarily mean, that they were converted followers of Jesus. Uh, After 2001, uh, four years later, the very same Christian nations composed one of the, uh, the most wretched song called Sister Bettina, right? And uh, the whole country jammed uh, to that song. Sister Bettina is the most wretched song uh, that we have ever produced, but uh, the Christian nation loved it. So just because you call yourself a Christian does not necessarily mean that you are a Christian. That is part of the culture that was influenced by the West 
and colonization. There's some good parts, uh, but culturally, uh, just because you call yourself a Christian uh, does not mean you're a Christian. Um, A guy right here, a part of the Dutch Reformed Church, um, he was appointed to be a council of this Christian organization. And this is what he had to say uh, about the world and organized religion. He says that the world has invented many machines, some cruel, but perhaps the most complicated of all is the mechanism of organized Christianity. It is very complicated. Uh, And I'm not trying to be political here. You guys know me. Um, I'm, I'm not a fighter. Uh, I don't support uh, the revolution or anything like that. I'm, just, I'm a chilled guy. But I do find it ironic that cities that said to themselves that we are a Christian nation and we're going to have at the center of our city a church, uh, those very same cities designed their cities in such a way uh, that they segregated people. Uh, the people of color were put out uh, in the margin of society. A friend, this town planner friend of mine, showed me the shocking uh, town planning of a normal city uh, back in the day, uh, that they would even put barriers or put them uh, the other side of the railway so that guys from Tembisa uh, might not come to Midrand. Um, I was going to say a joke, but that's probably insensitive. Um, so that is, I find that quite um, ironic, that the very same church put its stamp of approval in one of the most oppressive systems uh, in world history. Now, lastly, um, because of our history and because of the worldwide um, heritage of uh, Christendom, the world has grown uh, to be more and more against the Christian faith. Uh, The world has looked at the church and said, you guys no longer have the authority and the monopoly on truth. Uh, You guys are not the custodians of what it means uh, to be morally good. In fact, we are going to define morality for ourselves. We're going to define what marriage is. Uh, We're going to define uh, what life is and when life begins. That's that's up to us. Uh, And the world grew more and more against um, this idea of Christianity. Um, There was a time where Christianity was popular, but I think that time is gone and that time is on the decline. And in our own country, we are going to get a lot more pressure um, from the world against the Christian faith. Uh, Because people who reject the Christian faith not only reject it, but they militant uh, against uh, Christianity. Um, They not only say that the church um, is irrelevant, they want to prove it uh, and silence those who would have views that are contrary um, to what they hold on to. So people are growing more and more hostile to the Christian faith. Now, that's a long introduction, but that lends us in 1 Peter and the importance it is for us living in 2019 Midrand. Um, We need to hear the words um, of Peter. We need to be prepared to live in a world that is counter uh, Christ and counter God. We need to be prepared to live as elect exiles in the world that God has placed us in. So Peter writes this letter to encourage this church that was facing persecution uh, to keep on keeping on, to remember that they are here on a permanent, on a temporary visa. That is what he wants to remind them. If you have your Bible, or you can look it up here, uh, uh, turn with me to chapter 5, 
verse 12. This is how Peter summarizes what he's trying to do uh, with this letter that he was writing to uh, these Christians. Chapter 5, verse 12, uh, this is uh, the, um, what Peter says. Um, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as faithful, as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying uh, that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Um, I think I read it from a different version there. ESV says, by Sal, Sal Venus, a faithful brother, as I regarded him, I have written uh, briefly to you, exhorting and uh, declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Uh, So throughout this letter, Peter is reminding these Christians of the gospel of the grace of God towards their life. And he says that this very grace is the thing that they can anchor themselves in. It's the very thing that will anchor them in a world that is against God and that is growingly persecuting uh, them. He wants to remind them that no matter how heated it gets, um, God is at the center and the gospel um, is at the center. So tonight we just want to Focus on these two introductory verses, um, verses chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Uh, and they might look short, but they are packed with uh, meaning and they are packed uh, with um, just about everything that Peter uh, deals with in the rest of this, um, this letter. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, this is a greeting. Um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus, um, that's the author Uh, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, I like how my brother Ezekiel pronounced that, Um, as Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Um, That is a simple greeting if you are writing a letter back in the day uh, in the Greco-Roman world, that is how you would begin it. Uh, It wasn't like nowadays, uh, WhatsApp messages, uh, hi, you know those guys who start off uh, the message with hi, and then they wait, and then you say hi, and then they're like, how are you? I'm like, just get to the point of what you're trying to say. Um... So Peter right here just gets straight to the point. And in the introduction, obviously you have to mention yourself as the writer, the recipients to which you write into, and some kind of a well wish. But there's so many things that Peter says there that should spark our interest. As he writes this letter, he carefully chooses the kind of words he uses to describe himself and these Christians. Uh, Firstly, we read uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Sounds like a normal thing, um, um, but I think I find this thing an incredible thing, uh, that Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Are you guys still with me? Amen. Amen. The world is not coming to an end, right? (laughs) The city of Jobek did send out messages that there will be, these things will happen. Um, We are not being persecuted. Um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at the Bible, if you read the Bible and understand who Peter is, um, I think you would find this quite encouraging. What it means to be an apostle is that you either had to be, you had to be 
um, a witness to the resurrection, uh, it meant you had some kind of authority uh, during the early church. It meant that whatever you wrote and whatever you taught became scripture as we know it. Uh, so the fact that we're reading um, scripture, we're reading the Bible, we're calling it the Word of God, and it is something that it is written by a guy called Peter. That is remarkable. That should encourage you. Um, you and I think of apostles, uh, we think of these guys on posters, on billboards, uh, with their wives and suits. Uh, this powerful-looking guy uh, who looks like he's a super-Christian uh, and just beyond what any normal people like you and I would be able to reach. Um, but if you think about Je- um, Peter, the rock as they called him, uh, Jesus gave him this nickname. Uh, Jesus said that he is the very rock on which he's going to build a church. I've, you read the Bible, you figure out, man, like Peter was a loser just like you and me. Peter was just an ordinary guy who uh, sometimes did a lot of stuff that was stupid. Peter, on one event, as they were arresting Jesus, cut off somebody's ear off uh, in trying to rebel. Uh, Peter was uh, the guy who stepped out of the boat, walked up to Jesus, and began to sink. Uh, because, um, because he did not uh, believe. Uh, Peter is the same guy. Uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, man, if there was ever to be a guy who will stand beside you, that will be me. Uh, let them come, Jesus. I'm going to stand next to you. And guess what happened? He didn't reject Jesus once. He didn't reject him twice. He did three times. Uh, he said, I don't know who that guy is. I have never seen him. I have never spoken uh, to him. I've never looked his way. This is the same Peter uh, that writes, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the same Peter who goes out uh, to proclaim the gospel uh, to the Gentiles and to the Jew. This is the same Peter who is crucified according to tradition upside down, for holding on and saying, man, I saw Jesus alive, and that truth I will swear by, and I will die for. Uh, that is the same Peter. Something radical happened in his life. He tasted the grace of the risen Lord Jesus, and that gave him the courage um, to live in a world that persecuted Christians. Amen. So this apostle of Jesus Christ, um, quite a loser, Uh, Not a super Christian, ordinary guy just like you and I, um, but by the grace of God, uh, he wrote uh, this thing, this letter um, to these guys. Um, He continues to say, to those who are elect um, exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, Before he writes to these guys, he wants to remind them who they are. Before he says anything about the things that they're going through, he wants to remind them where they stand. And what, is, what does he say there? He says that they elect. Elect means that they are the chosen ones. And we're going to come back to what that means. And the other thing uh, he says is that they are elect exiles. They are exiles. They are strangers and aliens. Here on, in this world, on a temporary residence visa. That is who Christians are, these Christians that he's writing to. And they're scattered all over uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, but nonetheless, they are the people of God. They are elect exiles. Now, let's focus a bit in and zoom in on this word, exile. 
I think nobody um, understands this concept like a South African. Exile um, is something that we've been uh, through uh, during the struggle days. Uh, people left their homes. Uh, some left their kids to go in and seek safety in other countries. Uh, they tasted what it means to live in a foreign country uh, just so that they can fight the struggle. Many of us uh, this evening uh, come from different countries, uh, and we've come searching here, right here in the city of gold, uh, for better opportunities. And nobody understands this concept of being an exile, being in a foreign land uh, and having to do life uh, in that. Especially when you visit home affairs, you realize uh, that I'm not um, of uh, this country. Uh, and here's the one thing I've, I've seen. Um, I used to stay uh, back in 2009. I stayed with a group of Gabonese guys uh, for the whole year. Uh, and what I saw is that these guys lived in South Africa. Uh, they loved some of the things that South Africa had to offer. But they were true to who they were. They were true to their culture back in Gabon. Now, we stayed in a three-bedroom house or two-bedroom house that was converted to a three-bedroom house. This is Brixton. If you know Brixton, it is tough in Brixton. And we're living together as a, a community. Uh, I was staying with four guys in the same room. Um, it was, no, actually, two, six of us uh, in the same room. It was a big room. Uh, and we were just doing life. Um, but I could see that as a South African, um, I would go into the English-speaking world and come back to a very different uh, culture. Uh, so we would be staying in this house, and it would just be French TV Saint-Mont, uh, there was this um, show called Ma Famille that we used to watch. We ate uh, for the first time a Rustenberg boy. We were eating perfumed rice. I didn't even know what that is. But that was part and puzzle of Gabonese culture. And that is what they ate. They ate. I was introduced to cassava leaves. Uh, that is one of the best things ever. These guys would come into the country and find a market that sold things from their country. Uh, so they were living here, uh, but they realized that they were exiles uh, in a foreign land. Uh, some of them uh, tragically had to carry around passports uh, be because they were avoiding to be hustled by thirsty policemen. Uh, cool drink, uh, they didn't want to pay that, uh, so they would have to carry their passports. So they lived here, uh, but they lived as exiles and foreigners in a strange land. And Peter says to these Christians, uh, just as he opens up his letter, uh, he would remind them that you guys are like that. Um, you live in this world, but you are not um, of this world. That is what a believer is. Uh, it is a, a believer is a stranger and an alien uh, in this world. The same word we see being used here in 1 Peter, we see again appearing in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is that famous uh, chapter that mentions the heroes of the faith, Abraham, Noah, uh, and those guys. Uh, and this is what uh, the writer of Hebrews says about these great heroes. He says, um, for instance, Abraham left uh, his idol-worshipping world. He left things that were familiar to him to live in a foreign world, hoping for a better country. Uh, chapter 11, verse 13 this, uh, referring to the heroes of the faith, 
all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Uh, So the writer of Hebrews uh, puts up this picture of these guys who had magnificent faith, uh, who trusted in God's promises, even when it didn't make sense to do so. Um, But why did they do that? Well, because they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. They knew and hoped for a better country. Now, this is a definition, according to a commentator, of this term exile, just to um, kind of um, add more color to it. He says that the term was used in the first century to designate someone who does not hold citizenship in the place where he resided and was therefore viewed as a foreigner. The lack of citizenship implied that such people did not enjoy all the rights and privileges of citizens. That is what a Christian is, um, uh, Peter would remind them, uh, that you are not going to enjoy some of the rights and privileges of living in the world um, and uh, living in this world because you are not um, of this world. Uh, The commentator goes on to say, Moreover, as foreigners, they were not expected to hold the values and uh, and practice the customs of their host culture. Not expected to hold the values of the culture. And that is what a Christian is, that although you live in Midrand 2019, you're actually of another world, and you should not be holding to the standards of this world. Your identity as an exile should mark the way that you relate to the world. Some of the things that you put your hope in, uh, some of the things that you love and cherish should be transformed. Um, a picture of that we see in chapter 1, verse 2. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn there, or else you can follow on the screen behind me. 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 11. This is Peter explaining to them what life would look like for them uh, in this um, exiled place. Uh, Behold, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Uh, that is what it looks like to be a Christian. Uh, which wage war against your soul. Uh, Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that is, those who do not believe, honorable, so that when they speak against you as as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When when people uh, in the outside world look at Christians, uh, they should be seeing people who are transformed by the gospel. They should be longing uh, to taste something of the grace that these guys have tasted. This is what it means to be a Christian. And we're going to pick it up in the next couple of weeks uh, in chapter 2 and unpack that. But that is what it looks like uh, to be a Christian. It means that you live in Midrand, but you are not of Midrand. that the fireworks have subsided. Um, Listen to these words by D.L. Moody. He says that Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives, lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. That is the reality um, of what it means to be 
uh, Christian, that we navigate the waters of this life, but we do not allow the water um, to get into, into us. Now, can I just say that modern-day Christianity uh, is suffering under the weight of this water because more and more the church uh, has embraced uh, the values of the society um, around us. More and more, us as Christians, we are on the same water group as the world that we live in. And God would remind us that that is not who we are. Uh, both the world and us uh, desire comfort uh, as the highest hope uh, that you and I can have. Uh, both the world and us desire to live for pleasure. Uh, both us and the world spend money in the same way. Uh, now, Peter would remind us that we are exiles. We ought to be responding differently to the world around us. But why should we do that? Anybody who tells you a command from the pulpit, you always need to ask yourself, what is the motivation? What, what is this guy giving me so that I can be able um, to obey this? What is God giving you uh, so that you can live out your life as an exile? What has he given you? Verse 2 unpacks that for us. Here's the motivation. Because you are an exile, verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, uh, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. Uh, so we were chosen uh, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. In other words, this was not your plan if you are a Christian uh, to become a Christian. Uh, you were chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit. In other words, that means it is not by your power that you continue the Christian faith or even began the Christian faith. Uh, we were chosen uh, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, meaning that you did not pay the penalty uh, that sin demanded of you. Uh, your sin and my sin demanded for you and I uh, to be crucified, uh, to be punished for our sins. Uh, but because of the sprinkling, uh, the, the, the spilling of the blood of Jesus, uh, you and I, if you are a Christian, if you've put your trust in Jesus, uh, you have been pardoned. Not because the penalty fell on you, uh, but it fell on somebody else. In other words, as you read these things, uh, Peter reminds these Christians that God has been at work in their lives to make them Christians long before they were born, long before they were even, um, their parents even got those pregnancy results. God was at work in making them Christians. He foreknew and uh, foreplanned his salvation. Now some people, when you, they hear the word foreknew, uh, they think, well, maybe God knew um, because he can see everything that somehow we're going to be good people and then he came to kind of rescue us. We are not such uh, bad people. Uh, he just nudged us uh, to jump over the edge. Um, foreknowledge means that it doesn't mean that. It means he saw us in our sin and he saw us powerless, uh, having no power uh, to redeem ourselves from our sin and God stepped towards us by his grace, uh, to bring us into a relationship with himself uh, by the blood of Jesus, by the life that Jesus gives uh, for us. Now, that is the gospel message. Um, that same gospel would anchor this elect exiles. That same gospel 
would encourage Christians who are living in persecution, uh, who are living with these challenges of the flesh, desiring to satisfy their own flesh. This same gospel uh, would encourage them um, to um, be, live out more and more their identity as elect exiles. I don't know if you see that. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes against the very fiber of our culture. Because um, our culture is very obsessed with performance. Um, our culture says, uh, just try, try harder, you'll be accepted. Um, just work harder at your job, then you'll have an identity. Um, just exercise so much, um, put a Fitbit on and count your steps. Do everything, eat healthy uh, so that you can just uh, prolong your life uh, and live um, a good life here. Um, but we, I don't know, man, if, you, if that's what you put your hope in, what happens if you eat healthy and cancer comes knocking at your door? What happens then? Um, is your worldview, uh, is the things that you hope in and put your trust in enough to hold the weight of what this world throws at you? We live in a performance society, uh, and these guys also lived in a religious perform- performance uh, society, but um, Peter would remind them uh, that God loved them. God stepped towards them in his grace way before uh, they even thought about it. And I just noticed uh, those, the work of the triune God working towards uh, bringing us into a relationship with himself working to remind us that God doesn't love us because we are good. No, that's not why he loves us. God makes us good because he loves us. And that's the thing I stole from C.S. Lewis. The Christian is someone who doesn't believe that God loves me because I'm good. No, the Christian is one who understands that God makes us good because he loves us. That is the gospel. That is the thing and uh, that should hold us in this troubled world. Uh, that is the identity uh, that can withhold any storm that life would bring your way. Listen to these words by a very famous, um, or used to be famous, Madonna. Uh, some of you um, don't know who Madonna is. Amen. We're born in the, uh, after 2000. Madonna, uh, this is what she said. I think this was 1991. Uh, this is when Martin was uh, three years old. Um, he say, she says, um, she, she's obviously a big artist by this time as she's writing. Uh, she says that I have so many regrets and I have none. I wish I hadn't done a lot of things. But on the other hand, if I hadn't, I wouldn't be here. But then again, nobody works the way I work. I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting. And I find, and I find a way to get myself out of that. Again and again, my driving life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm that somebody. My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. What Madonna was longing for is a God who accepts her and who values her uh, beyond anything that she could achieve. 
Now, I think many of us as Christians have this Madonna complex. Uh, we want to prove ourselves to God that we are somebody. Uh, we trust in our own performances uh, to uh, just justify ourselves. Uh, but tonight, even as we get into the series, uh, Peter reminds this Christian, man, there's certain stuff, there's a lot of hectic stuff that you're going through, but know this thing, that God loves you. Uh, if you are a Christian, he stepped towards you way before you could step towards him. Uh, that should be the thing that anchors you so that you may never be tossed between uh, just feeling unsure um, about your life here on earth. Uh, that when suffering comes, you don't say, man, I wonder if God truly loves me. Uh, because you understand that he truly loves you. How do you know he loves you? Well, he gave his very all to you. He gave uh, his son to you on that cross uh, to display his love for you. Uh, so whenever you're tempted um, to doubt that, um, please look and be looking at the grace of God, at the cross um, of Jesus Christ. Uh, and Paul, or rather Peter, ends of others greeting with, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. What a lot that is filled in those two verses. A lot about who uh, uh, Peter is, who God is, and what God has done for these Christians. So as you and I think about life in this crazy world, life in the world that is more and more rejecting and pushing against uh, Christianity, uh, the gospel is the thing that is going to give us courage uh, to continue this life and to live as exiles, elect exiles, right here where God has placed us. So I hope you, this was an introduction. I do hope that you will join us uh, for the next however many weeks November has um, as we unpack our series, I think it's four weeks, uh, in uh, 1 Peter. And just as we, as we go through this series, I want you to go home and ask yourself uh, this question. Um, looking at your own life, when your back is against the wall, uh, and when the world uh, seems to be against you, what are you hoping? Is your worldview big enough um, to hold the treasure, the pressures of this world? That should be a question that we're asking um, ourselves. Let me pray for us, uh, for God to help us. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your grace um, in transforming your life of a sinner um, like Peter, um, of transforming the, life of, the lives of many who sit here tonight and have given their lives to Jesus and are followers of Jesus. Uh, we thank you that that same grace is still available to uh, someone who hasn't taken that step. Uh, and so we do pray that somebody would consider uh, Jesus, uh, would consider their world and the things that they hope in, uh, and Lord, that you'd uh, present the gospel as much more attractive uh, and much more weighty um, against the presence of this world. Uh, so this evening, as we begin this series, I pray that you'd stir up our hearts uh, to want to live in this world uh, and to contribute to this world, uh, but not to put all our chips in on this world, because you, O oh Lord, have made us for a better world, a better city, uh, and please anchor us in that hope, even as we go into this week. Uh, this we pray in Christ's name and for our sake. Amen.